It's time to accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 727 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. I have another excellent episode lined up for you today. Coming back actually for a repeat visit to Accelerate is Sean Finder. Sean is founder and CEO at AutoClose. Now, the topic today we're going to talk about, what we get into is whether we've gone too far with automating sales. And interesting, because you know, Sean is the CEO of a company that deals in sales automation. And uh, if we haven't gone too far, then what are the lessons that we need to be learning from how we've implemented automation so far in order to really make it make us more effective and more productive in what we're doing? And so, talk about several questions. One, obviously, is, is, is automation distancing you from your prospects? I mean, how do you use automated tools to engage at the human level, create some rapport, and build the relationships that lead to winning deals? And Sean, also, Sean and I will also be getting into how to personalize your email outreach and also explore how companies are experimenting with the structure of their sales teams and how automation affects that. So before I get to Sean, I want to take a quick second to talk about the sales house sales growth planner. Now, this is the ultimate planner and tracker for high-performance sellers. The sales growth planner is built to help you identify your big, bold sales goals and give you a step-by-step framework to enable the learning and growth you need to achieve them. So it's all based on a planning format that I've successfully used myself, personally, for over four decades as a top producer and high-growth sales leader. And the thought and effort that you put into creating your plan and holding yourself accountable will be repaid with interest at the end of the 12-month period. So become the best version of you. Visit thesaleshouse.com forward slash planner. That is thesaleshouse.com forward slash planner to get your sales growth planner today. All right, let's jump into it. Sean Finder, welcome to the show. I'm very excited to be here, Andy. It's been a, it's been a while, and uh, it has. You look great. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, well, thank you for our our podcast audience. Uh, <laughs> I'm blushing now, but uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> yes, I'm I'm aging gracefully, hopefully. So yeah. <laughs> so you're joining us from Toronto area today. Uh, I'm in Toronto, Canada. We have our probably our first day of summer, and people are still. Very hyped on our Toronto Raptors win a few weeks ago, so it's been an exciting time. Yeah, between uh, you and uh, Daryl Prale at uh, Vanilla Soft and so on, yeah, lots of conversations about. Uh, I'm a big Warriors fan, so it was Uh-oh. <laughs> a bit. Well, it was a bit disappointing, but on the other hand, given that they lost two thirds of their their star trio, yeah, it wasn't wasn't unsurprising. And and you've had your fair share of good seasons lately, so I think it's time to you know give someone else a little bit of the rain for a little bit. <laughs> I guess, but you know, I'm I'm from the sales mentality that I just yeah, refuse to lose, and yeah. I want to win every single opportunity that's out there. So yeah, I know you can't win them all. So yeah, yeah. I mean, as if I mean, I'm a big Kawhi Leonard fan. Yeah. From San Diego. Yeah. You know, at least part time, but he was you know at San Diego State University, so. Yeah, it'll yeah. be an interesting off season for both of us. Let's just say that. <laughs> yeah, not to get into the the weeds with uh, yeah. <laughs> here on the show, but yeah, whether the Raptors can keep Kawhi, that will be the um, the big question. Exactly. Yeah, I'm assuming the Warriors. Well, no one's going to have Kevin Durant next year because he's going to be rehabbing. But yeah. uh, it's still an open question whether he'll be there beyond that. Uh, yeah. And I suspect not at this point. So. <laughs> 
So anyway, well, Sean, welcome. And um, yeah, you've your business has gone through some significant changes since we spoke the last time. Uh, so tell us a little bit about how you guys have evolved. Yeah. So uh, last time I was on the show, we were talking about my data company, Exchange Leads, which was a data provider. Um, and we, you know, about a year and a half ago now, we parlayed that. We took kind of uh, the sales engagement side and the database side and built in more of an all-in-one solution. Um, and the reason why is I find, I find sales leaders nowadays are looking for consolidation. They want everything in one place. Mm-hmm. So we built, we built it out a year and a half ago, and we continue to build on that model to continue to integrate, integrate, and try and add everything in one place so salespeople can you know, save more time and make more money. Well, there you go. So let's, let's go back to the basics. Is Because okay. I get this question all the time. Is Okay, what is a sales engagement platform? And... And people sort of name the names, right? We can say AutoClose, we can say Outreach, SalesLoft, yeah. uh, VanillaSoft, you know, all the all the companies in the space. But but what is it? So a sales engagement tool is you know is a tool that allows you to automate and engage with prospects at the top of the sales funnel. Um, it's not going to necessarily close those deals for you, but what it is going to do is going to open up opportunities that can lead to leads that can help you drive them down the sales funnel to hopefully end up closing them as a sale. So using different tools to automate that so you have more time in your day to spend time with, with um, closing deals, but trying to automate the top of the funnel um, all by engagement. So there, there is still this, in some, some quarters, and we're seeing in some companies, you know, we have the specialization of sales, especially in, you know, inside sales organizations. We have the SDRs and our account execs that, you know, handle the opportunities beyond the top of the funnel. But I'm seeing in some companies now, it's a, you know, maybe the pendulum went too far. And we're going to swing back and, yeah, maybe, maybe we've automated too much, right? And maybe we just need to be a little more human in the way that we, we outreach again. Are you seeing some of that or what's, what's sort of the feel you get? Because I've, yeah, I talked to some companies recently that said, "Yeah, we're actually sort of almost not completely getting rid of their SDR function, but you know, we're putting more of the emphasis now on the AEs doing the proactive outreach, sort of, you know, the way it used to be." Yeah, it's it's an interesting time right now. I mean, a lot of people think you know automation is the end all be all, but you have to still have a little bit of human touch, and that's why I I tell myself, be like you, you know, to run any of the sales engagement tools. You listed some of them, but any tools, our tools, other tools. To just automate it is one thing, but you still need to try and build that relationship, that rapport. And I think one thing I always stress is um, LinkedIn. You know, LinkedIn has everybody that's going to ever buy or sell from you in there. That I think it's in, very important to get that social touching and still be the person behind your brand, the person behind your product, the person that you're talking to your prospect to. So I think people are relying way too much on the automation. It's just a piece of the puzzle, but it's definitely not the whole puzzle. Yeah, I mean, LinkedIn is a perfect example of, and I'm I don't know much about the automation tools for for LinkedIn, but clearly people are using them because the messages I get on a daily basis can't be individually generated. <laughs> <laughs> so, how do you avoid you know using automation in such a way that, to your point about the human touch, that it just comes across as, yeah, artificial, inauthentic, yeah, spammy, yeah. and and I think this is also one of the the critical issues that that we face as sellers is yeah how do we how do we make that initial outreach it could be somebody on a phone could be a more senior person trying to call at a senior level but 
Well, guess what we see? We're big SDR teams out making mass calls. How do you how do you personalize that? So that's a great question. Um, some of the things that I recommend um, and I ask people to do is, A, you want to personalize it as much as possible. So use different tokens inside your email, inside your subject line um, that personalize. So it could be, you know, as the VP of sales at company XYZ. So, you know, mention something. Um, you could also create custom fields that might have interest. So, for example, you know, if you do a search and you know that these 50 prospects are all interested in golf or, you know, 10 prospects are in tennis, you know, mention that in your content. But the biggest issue I find and how I can tell if something's a spam or automated <laughs> is the length of the email. People will write a long, long email and try and sell them to sell their company, which I don't think is the way to use it. You should more use the automation as short and simple, 50 to 75 words. And your follow-ups ideally should be just two lines because most people aren't going to think you're going to automate just two lines. It's, be like, it's almost like a reply mm-hmm, to an email. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So make it as short as possible. Like, you know, Andy, just checking as we close out the week. Did you have a chance to read over my last email? Just sending like a two-liner like that makes it sound more one-to-one than if I wrote a whole paragraph on why you should want to buy from me and what your value is and who I am, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, at that point, you're just selling a conversation. You're selling a meeting. Yeah, yeah. And actually, I'll tell you, one of the funny ones I find is when somebody, I get, hi, my name is Sean Finder, and I am the CEO of Autoclose. Or, hi, my name is Andy, and I'm the CEO of ABC. It's like, you emailed me. I already know your name. I already know what company you're working for from your email. Why are you introducing yourself and talking about yourself? Because that's how they've been taught to talk on the phone when they're making a cold call. Exactly. Right? So they're just taking the same behavior and putting an email. Exactly. And I find I find if you go right in and you have that first line with you know a question, a challenge, or something that can relate to your buyer, make it sound a lot more as a as a as a, a reason for them to read more, you get a lot more calls to action or clicks than introducing yourself and talking about yourself and not even your company, you just talk about yourself. Well, again, it's it's transferring that behavior. People think it's one size fits all, where it really is specific to the medium. A hundred percent, exactly. Yeah. So, um, do you have? And this is this sort of gets to you know one of my bugaboos, which I sort of we talked about a little bit before we started recording is is what seems sort of a disproportionate focus on top of funnel versus the middle of funnel. Right. And when these people don't really consider uh, what SDRs do as sales necessarily, and this is not anything against personally against SDRs, but to me that's really I've always thought lead gen's a marketing function, right? Even when I was out doing it, when I was when I was spent years cold calling uh, in person, oftentimes, yeah, I felt like yeah, yeah, I'm building awareness of the brand, and yeah, you know, some of this comes back to me eventually. People pick up the phone, they got a business card at those times. Yeah, you know, it, it it had a function uh, within my territory. I was both the sales and the marketing person. Um, what's happening relative automation then for the middle of the funnel for the, you know, once we get beyond the top of the funnel, where do you see sort of the technology going in that regard? Yeah. So right now with that, I I think to really generate, so the top of the funnel is going to get you to people to kind of raise their hand and show they're interested, but you're not going to sell at the top of the funnel in the middle of the funnel. I think it's very important to do almost social touches and that's where you want to build that relationship, build that rapport with that prospect and get them to ideally then it's all about trust because nowadays there's so many different technologies out there. There's so many people selling CRMs, so many people selling sales engagement tools. There's a few. Um, there's a yeah, few. <laughs> yeah. And if you, if you, if you're doing the same thing as everyone else, you're going to be left behind. So what you want to do is almost build that relationship, but 
You might even in that middle funnel try and help somebody with not even your product. Like I don't even, I don't have, I don't have a CRM. I'm not a CRM, but mm -hmm. say for example, somebody asked me, you know, what CRM do you recommend, Sean? Almost educate them on a CRM to use because just by helping them and them building trust with you will get them to want your product. So I think using social touches, using LinkedIn and different tools like that is great in the middle of the funnel because you're not going to sell by just sending a, a, a cold email out at the top of the funnel. It's not going to, it's not going to put money in your bank. It's only going to start that process. Yeah. And do we have this disconnect? And I know some customers react violently about this is, is, and others, yeah, no problem is, is sort of the handoff between SDR and an AE. And it's like, well, I was just talking to you. It reminds people of buying a car, at least here in the States is, you know, if you talk to the salesperson, then when it really gets down to the heart of it, yeah, I'm going to turn you over to my sales manager. Yeah. And, and to be honest, it happens so often. And I, Andy, I hate it. I, I find when I speak to somebody for 15 minutes and they go, okay, your next call is going to be with ABC. I'm like, well, I like, why do I speak to you? Like, I just, I, you know, I feel like it's like, it's like having a, having a girlfriend and then the girl's telling you, well, now I'm going to introduce my friend who's going to be your new girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like you, but uh, you know, not that much. Yeah. So now it's, yeah, you get to meet. Yeah. It's yeah. like you got rejected and now you're back, you know, you're back in the games. So it's like, I don't, I don't like that philosophy. I like to, you know, I like SDRs should. Um, you know, try and build that relationship. But you, you know, the one thing is you're not going to, as I said, you're not going to sell that first email. Don't, you know, people ask for 15 minutes. People ask for all this stuff in the first email. Like you haven't even built trust. You need to build that trust in that middle. Well, and that gets back to the question that we were talking about before is, is and I, I wonder about this is, and I was thinking about this a lot this morning. I was thinking about our conversation is, is I was harking back to a friend of mine. This is, uh, eight nine years ago, and SaaS was still relatively young, um, but but was present, and people were seeing the the change. But he was with a he was consulting to a company that ran a trial, and they had a as a higher end SaaS product, so the yeah. you know the ACV was was higher, but but they put their inside SDR team AE team pitted against a three person team that went and sold in person, yeah, <laughs> and and the three person team selling in person crushed the inside team in terms of productivity. Um, but we seem to have just bought into the idea that this is the only way, you know, the way we're currently structuring is the only way it can be done. And and I guess I don't see that. As I alluded to before, I see companies beginning to, to rethink this as, you know, perhaps we've gone too far. I mean, do you see a big shift back at some point? Or you know, how's this going to start evolving? Because to your point, hey, buyer experience is adversely affected when you say yeah. uh, thanks for your time now next year i talk to john the next time yep um and you start starting over again is how do we that's an obstacle for me that's an obstacle yeah and we've actually you know funny enough we've actually had most of the automation done through automation the top of the funnel and then go right to an account exec so we try and nurture them with content with engagement with value we don't we actually totally skip the sdrs and have the account executives just do the demos and then try and um, close the deals because as you said, you know, it, the, the handoff is one thing, but as you just said, the, the, from a buyer, if you're talking to somebody for 20 minutes, you're telling me your situation, your challenges, and they're like, okay, your next calls with somebody else, it kind of ruins that experience for the person. So I do think we're going back to, um, SDRs to be more automated. Um, and then the account executives doing more of the, you know, running the automation on the side, but you know, while it's running, doing the closing and the demos and the calls. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, it's interesting, you know, funny enough, we've only done that one way 
we're going to be trying to hire one SDR to see if the grass is greener on the other side. <laughs> so if you give me six months, we could probably do another one of these and I can tell you which one is better. But we haven't done the SDR route yet. We're looking into it now. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I, I personally think, you know, they can take off some smaller tasks, but uh, is there a need? It's a great question. Well, I mean, it depends on your deal side, right? I mean, there yeah. are certain deal sizes where, yeah, why not just let the SDR handle the whole thing? So this is the thing that, that I think is sort of crazy is that we have these people that we're training at one level and giving them experience at one level, but not really giving them real sales experience, right? So, yeah, I mean, I, I look at some of the deal sizes that SaaS companies, you know, we're looking, you know, four grand a month or something like that. It's like, you know, give that to an SDR. Why do you need an AE to close a deal that's four grand a month? Yeah, I, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, I find anyone can be trained. If you can train somebody to do multiple tasks, I mean, why not? I mean, I don't think there's a reason to have both. That's for sure. Yeah, I think I think you can have specialized uh, sales teams, but yeah, yeah. do it by deal size, right? If you want to have people, a learning ground for people. And yeah, certainly SaaS is a perfect example of an industry where you've got a variety of deal sizes. Yeah, get your, your smaller ones, just make them transactional. <laughs> and, exactly. And I mean, that's... When I started my career you know, selling computer systems, but before we could learn how to sell computer systems, they sent us out to sell these desktop adding machines that yeah. uh, even were obsolete when I was selling them back in the day. And But we still had to sell these things the size of small microwave ovens for 300 bucks when you could buy a tiny little calculator for 70 bucks at that time. Um, but, you know, you had to go earn your stripes. And yeah, yeah. it was very transactional. It was you know one or two calls at max on these things, and you just couldn't beat the experience. But you actually had the sense of completion because you took it all the way to an order, right? So you, it may have been a compressed sales cycle, but relationship building, trust building, all that stuff happened in more compressed time, and you took an order. Yeah, and I, th- I think you know you could do a lot more training, a lot more mentoring at the at the really early stage when you bring them on. And try and make them very transactional. You know, teach them not only. I mean, everyone I find you learn over time. You learn by by getting getting your feet wet, getting thrown in the ocean, sink or swim kind of feeling. So I think by going there, you can you can turn somebody that can maybe do both the AE and the SDR role in one. Um, but maybe a little bit more training at the forefront would help as well. Yeah, I, and part of the reason I'm sort of on this kick, if you will, and <laughs> I rant about it quite a bit is. Is that for many companies, and again, we see it in the SaaS space, we see it in other spaces, so I don't pick on that one, is the win rates are really low. Yep. You know, 20% win rates of qualified prospects. And to me, that's not sustainable. I mean, I never operated in a business coming up in my career, and I was, granted, I was selling way more expensive, more complex stuff, but, but if my win rate fell below 50%, I was in deep trouble. Personally, and not the boss cared, but I mean, it's, I just knew that my results were going to be off, and yeah. not not be optimal, and and so, but yeah, we're accepting this this it's seeming this acceptance because we can automate so much stuff at the top of the funnel, and you know, run so much crap through there, and you got you know pipeline coverage ratios that are mandated, and it's like it's like okay, well, if you mandate a five x pipeline coverage ratio, your win rates could be the inverse of that. Yeah. It's going to be twenty percent. It's just the math works, uh, and also you know your sellers don't have time to to devote in a serious fashion to that many prospects opportunities at the same time. 
So how do, how do we get out of this loop of sort of self, what I consider self-defeating behavior? Because we've got sellers who have the capability of being way more productive. And I, I look at productivity as dollars of revenue they could generate per hour of selling time if we just rationalize the selling process. Yeah, I, I completely I completely agree with you. I think uh, I think we can get a lot more out of people, um, out of salespeople especially. I think the problem is when you when you title people in SDR and you don't give them the chance to close, a it's it's demeaning to them. But um, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's you know it's like you know they feel like they've started the process, but they might have be confident enough that they can close it, but you're not giving them the opportunity to even try and close it, which I think. Um, a might not even help their their future growth because they're going to feel like they're going to be stuck at this this SDR level. But I think that's why I kind of I'm explaining to them that you know it, it's part of the process. Or getting them more involved in closing would definitely benefit an SDR, especially if they're capable of doing it. Well, and I also think increasing. I firmly believe that increasing win rates is as a training tool for your AEs. Is you know if you're only winning one of every five, the only thing you're really training yourself on is how to lose. Yeah. So why not shift it and try to say, how can we make this an environment where the opportunity exists actually to win a majority of the deals that you work on? Yeah. And, no. and instead of experiencing failure all the time. And yeah. so, because, you know, one, to me, one of the real interesting, and you see this, and, you know, companies have this metric all over is, you know, close lost. And I'm like, Really? Why are we tracking that? It's like we're we patting ourselves on the back that that we actually got a deal to close. We lost it, but hey, it closed. It's like <laughs> that's really nothing to celebrate. Um, now, close win that that. But it's it's funny. I I talk about this more and more, and some guy sort of took a swipe at me on LinkedIn about this thing. Ah, win rates are bullshit. You know, the only thing we should be concerned about is commission in our pocket. I'm like, <laughs> what's this person not understand? Is that you know, if your win rate goes up, you make more money. <laughs> you know, this is not this is not an illusion, right? If you're a sales rep and you can increase your win rate from twenty percent to thirty percent, you've increased fifty percent. You're going to make a lot more money. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. this seemed to escape this person's attention. It's like, yeah, win rates aren't a phony metric. It should be the metric that sellers are completely focused on. Yeah, and I don't think too many, enough people look at their win rate. They they, they count their wins, they count their wins, they get excited when they win, but they don't actually look at like how many opportunities is it taking me to get that win. And I think it's very important that you do look at your win rate because as you said, if you can double your win rate and if you make your goal in, in next quarter, you're going to double your win rate, well, you might make double the money. Just increase it 2% this year, 2% next year. You know, it's like, it'd be like interest, you know, accumulating interest on investment. Cost of living. <laughs> just, just make it go up every year as a percentage. Yeah. Well, the cost of living is going to be you know covered That's by the fact you increase your prices, so you paid a percent of the price, right? But, yeah. but you increase your win rate. It's yeah. <laughs> I'm always astonished people don't don't understand that, and some people think, well, you know, managers. It's you know, first of all, win rate's a lousy man, a lousy metric for managers because yes, they can manipulate it if you're paying your managers. But as an individual, if you want to know how you're doing, for me, win rate was everything. Yeah. At the end of the day, that dictated how well, how productive I was being. Yeah. And yeah, we, we need more focus on that. And that's this sort of gets back to this issue that I see with companies. I said they really just have had conversations with CROs and CEOs where they talk about you know growth plans. It's all about, well, let's just get more crap on the top of the funnel. And we know we'll close X percentage, so if we increase the top of the funnel 
and keep our our win rate the same, we're great. But it's like, really? No. That's not a way to grow a company. I mean, you some companies will grow that way, but for the average company who's you know moderately successful and has a future and is yeah, not a unicorn, that's not a sustainable way to grow. Yeah, no, I, I, I give an example of a company I worked for before when I was an entrepreneur. We had a, I had a CEO who said, we're going to hire five more salespeople because if your quota is one million, I'm going to give each of them one million. We're going to make five million next year. Does it? <laughs> <laughs> but the, he basically said, okay, you have this many demos. You're closing this much. So if we hire five more people at this salary, we're going to each make one million. Not thinking, well, the market is now going to be there. You know, regions are going to be smaller. Yeah, so you got to definitely. Um, Definitely look at the statistics, and the CEO doesn't look. They look at a lot of CEOs just look at dollars and cents when they should be looking at you know their their win rate. Well, but it's yeah, it's not just CEOs; it's VPs of sales and so on. Is, is, of course, I was gave this example in a talk I gave recently to a group. I said, you know, working with a, a company, and the VP says, "Okay, next year we're gonna you know, increase quotas by I forgot it was like ten percent or something." I said, "Okay, okay, so." Um, have you done an assessment to see whether your sales reps are 10% better? I mean, have they have you trained them? Have they upskilled? Have they improved their capabilities by 10% to be able to I mean, are you just raising the quota or have you actually done something to say, yeah, these reps, to your point, of whom only 30% were making quota anyway, uh, that they all can do it. They all have been and no one makes that connection. It's like, yeah, we have to invest in our team if we want to raise the quotas. We can't just arbitrarily raise quotas is let's correlate to how they're skilled. Yeah, and I, I, I find that. I'll speak to some of my friends about that. And, you know, he was trying to mention me. He works for a, a huge company. He's like, they keep raising their quota, but he's like, and he leaves every few years because they keep raising his quota. But I guess sometimes you don't think like, A, you know, did you lose a product? So now you're raising my quota by 10, but I might have lost 4% of my product to a competitor last year. Or um, is the market even big enough to raise at 10%? You might not, you might have a market that can grow 10%. You never know. But people just say, yeah, raise it 20%, 10% every year, year over year. Um, but uh, it's definitely an interesting talk. I was actually talking about my wife who's in sales. Yeah. She's a territory manager. And she's you know, she's crushing it this year. She's like, oh, they're going to kill me with a quota next year. And there's not enough opportunity to hit those numbers. Or cut a territory. Yeah. Ex- exactly. Or cut a territory. So um, it's, that's a very interesting thing. And, I was, and my other friend who worked for, you know, as I said, some big companies, he, um, he leaves every few years because they keep increasing his quota, increasing quota. And he's like... He almost goes like, I can't hit that 10% increase because there's not enough in the market to even hit it. Yeah. Well, I mean, one is right. Quotas, unless it's you're an exceptional company that's that's growing, your growth rate is such as your quota should pretty much track the growth of the industry you're in and the market you're in. But yeah, yeah that's rarely considered as a factor, though you know, I've, I've worked for enlightened uh, clients and uh, companies who, who've seen it that way. Yeah. But for me, the bigger disconnect is there's no consideration given to have your people increase their skills by the same amount. Agree. Agree. And, and if you don't, if you don't think about that, right? We're just going to raise quota, but we haven't invested sufficiently in training. We haven't tried to upskill them. So, with the same skill sets, do ten percent more. Yeah, that's <laughs> like. Hmm. I wish it was that easy. Yeah. <laughs> Where's the problem with that right now? Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. Um. I was just looking. Gosh. So tell us what else is going on with, with you guys in terms of who you're focusing on with your clients. 
Yeah. So, you know, one thing we're trying to do is, you know, we know there's, you know, there's, it's a, it's a busy area. Um, you know, there are the outreaches and sales lofts. We try and stay away from those enterprise, enterprise, big, huge clients. We try and get those, you know, SMB clients. So we're really focusing on that. Though you've, really got some big, on, you've got some big logos on your, your website. Yeah, we've been working with, uh, between the data um, and, um, and Autoclose. I guess through, our, you know, the data company, we've, we've gotten a lot of building my network. Mm. I've been one thing I've been really working on the last four years, continue to work on my personal brand. So um, that's really helped. But uh, we're trying to continue to consolidate things for sales leaders. I find that sales leaders don't want the salespeople to have 12 tabs at the top of their computer and they have to log into a CRM, log into a Mark, you know, another sales automation, log into LinkedIn, trying to consolidate everything. That's our kind of our, our big goal in Q3, Q4 this year. And mm-hmm. hopefully we can um, continue to consolidate uh, to make the life of salespeople easier. Because as I said, you know, um, salespeople want to make more money, but they, um, they have to have the tools to be able to do it. Yeah. Well, I think there's certainly having the tools. There's no shortage of tools these days, right? That's um, for sure. So maybe they, they need help. And, uh, you know, a company like uh, Vendor Neutral that uh, Nancy Narden and Dan Seeley have put together to help vendors, you know, Choose the right tech stack is an interesting resource for people to try and bring yep. some clarity and and concision, I guess, to some of the decision making. Um, but yeah, it's <laughs> it's still a tough thing for companies, I think, to really sort of say, okay, what do we really need at this point in time? And so I'm interested as you're working with SMBs, is what's sort of the trigger point for a smaller enterprise to say, yeah, we've reached the stage where we need a sales engagement platform. Yeah, so uh, people, I find it it's interesting. You know, you know, CEOs of small businesses they're looking to increase revenue. Then you have, for example, national sales managers that contact us and they just want more demos for their regional sales managers. Then you have SDRs that just want to be able to automate it. So it's a it's an interesting interesting little little market the SMB. Um, but people are investing in the in the sales engagement tools now. Is is just simple for the automation? Um, as we talked about earlier, you know. People aren't spending enough time on that middle funnel. They think the top of the funnel is going to do everything, but mm. you just need to you need to be able to really focus on um, trying to get people raising their hands and uh, and I find content is really good case studies, um, trying to get people to trust your product. Um, but yeah, no, SMBs are really before it was all enterprise looking for sales engagement. But now the SMBs are realizing that oh well, instead of hiring a new SDR for sixty k, we can get a sales engagement tool for one twelfth the price. Might not be as you know, as, you know, as, um, bring as much revenue, but it also do a lot of the same tools and automate a lot of the stuff that that would do. So instead of paying the big salaries, you can get sales engagement tools now at a lot cheaper price. And is that sort of the trade-off that, you know, a small mid-sized enterprise is making is, is investing in this platform versus a person? Yeah. I mean, they're, you know, they're thinking, you know, instead of hiring somebody that could, you know, go out and go on LinkedIn and email hundreds of people a day and follow up, you know, they're just automating that. And then, you know, some people are actually getting remote, you know, remote or freelancer, remote mm-hmm. SDRs to kind of try and get them on the calendar and try and pre-qualify them. But ideally, you know, a sales engagement tool will do everything for you, but do the demo. It'll get everything you could automate, like Calendly, you can automate Zoom, you can automate everything in there. Mm-hmm. So they book, they book on your calendar, they get, they pick their date. When they pick their date, they get a calendar invite, your Zoom's inside the description. So you can automate almost everything to that demo. And I think a lot of people are taking that and instead of you know, and saving money on the SDRs by just using and investing in, in a simple sales engagement platform. 
It's interesting is is you know hearing you talk about you know, getting to a demo, but the fact is most companies in the world don't have products they demo. So how Our do services. <laughs> right. So how do they what's their sort of key point there in your experience with the companies you're working at that they're really guiding toward? What's the just the initial sales conversation with an AE or Yeah, so you know most so well when people most of our clients that aren't for example, doing a product mm-hmm. or a demo, what they'll do is, you know, what I try and tell them to do is start off with trying to find out what are the challenges, what are the pain points of that prospect, and then try and nurture them with, for example, case studies. Like, you know, we talk about building trust, you know, showing a case study of somebody that might be in that industry and showing the results they had, you know, from A to Z um, is really good at building that trust. So kind of nurture them. And then at the end, you might want to have a call. So if you're not going to do a demo, you might want to have an introduction call to see if you can do some consulting, et cetera. So trying to really build in those, those campaigns around trying to build the trust um, about you and your company mm-hmm. is obviously the most important thing for somebody that's not necessarily selling a product or doing a demo. Got it. All right. Well, Sean, we're reached sort of the end of the time here. And I do want to tell people to make sure to check out Sean's blog on his website because you, you do a good job. You write some good stuff. And, oh, thank you. I uh, appreciate that. Yeah, a lot of good content there. So, um, yeah, tell people how they can reach out and f- connect with you and find out more about AutoClose. Uh, perfect. Um, you can email me, Sean, that's S-H-A-W-N, at AutoClose, with a K, with a K yes. dot com. Um, you can come to our blog, uh, AutoClose.com. We provide. We do every blog every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We're actually doing three blogs. We, we triple down on blogs. Every three days a week, that's awesome. we'll be having brand new blogs. Um, and... Follow me on LinkedIn if you'd like. Uh, I post videos, tips, tricks, content, testimonials, um, problems clients are having, etc. Everything on there, so it's very engaged and interactive. Um, and if you have any questions, um, those are the three ways to get a hold of me. Perfect. All right, Sean. As always, a pleasure. And <laughs> uh, what six months we said? So you're gonna t- after your test? Yeah, yeah. So once we uh, once I test that out, we'll have to do uh, round three on the podcast and I'll uh, have to let you know the results. All right. Perfect. All right, Sean. Thanks a lot. Andy, thank you so much. Okay, friends, that was Accelerate for the week. First of all, as always, I want to thank you for joining me. And I want to thank my guest, Sean Finder. That was a good conversation. So join me again next week as my guest, guest plural, will be Bill Ekstrom and Sarah Worth. Bill is the founder and CEO of the EC Cell Institute, and Sarah is the Vice President of Client Services, also at the EC Cell Institute, and they're co-authors of a newer book called The Coaching Effect, What Great Leaders Do to Increase Sales, Enhance Performance, and Sustain Growth, and we're going to be talking about all those things, primarily through the lens of coaching, real coaching, not, not deal coaching, it's like performance and growth coaching of your individual seller. So be sure to join us then. And before you go, don't forget to check out The Sales House. It is the growth training program for B2B sellers just like you. So visit thesaleshouse.com forward slash accelerate for a special offer for listeners to the show. So we'll look forward to seeing you there. So that's it for this week. Thanks again for joining me. I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everybody. Good selling, everybody.